been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for a couple of weeks. We're going to look at it uh, leading up to Palm Sunday and then uh, start a new series on Easter, the Beatitudes, what uh, the definition by description that Jesus gives of followers of him, which is also a way of looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is both commanding and describing his followers. Um, It's among some of the most and least popular things Jesus said. So on the one hand, we've got don't judge, the golden rule, turn the other cheek, which we're going to look at today, which are some of the things that are probably thrown, if you're a Christian and you have friends that are not Christians, they probably throw those phrases at you every once in a while, right? And, and, and maybe that's okay because they are commands and uh, encouragements for us and ways of life offered to the follower of Jesus to flourish. Um, very quotable stuff in the Sermon on the Mount, right next to the stuff that no one ever wants to quote, like lust and divorce, and how troublesome anger is, and wrath. Um, I was uh, playing basketball a couple weeks ago, and I was having a little bit better week than I normally had, or a little bit better day shooting. Made a couple, couple three-pointers in a row. Then I turned the ball over, and one of the guys goes, uh, that's the Matt and we know and love. <laughs> and I laughed, and then I made sure to hold the door open for him on the way out of the high school. I was like, you can say that, but I'll hold the door open for you. And he goes, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. And I was like, oh, you're right. Because that is, in part, what it means. Does that happen to you in your life? People know you're a follower of Jesus. You know that they're not, and they throw the don't judge thing or the turn the other cheek or um, golden rule. The golden rule, I think most people think of as, as good wisdom, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus. Though people misunderstand it because right after he said it, Jesus said, this is a very narrow and hard way, actually. Turn the other cheek's a tricky one, though. It is not meant to be taken literally, but that takes away none of the power of the command. I'll explain that in just a minute. Jesus is very clear that it's not a literal command. I'll unpack that in a minute. When I was doing, uh, when I was a full-time youth pastor, I volunteered with Young Life because it was a way to reach a lot more students. And one of the students who now plays defensive line for the Atlanta Falcons, we were teaching on turn the other cheek, and he said, if I turn the other cheek in my neighborhood, I get shot. The reason I'm telling you that is not because you live in that neighborhood. I don't know if you do or not, but Jesus is teaching that love does not retaliate pain for pain is a a metaphor, and yet... Or is an, it's at least an exaggerated teaching. I, would, I shouldn't say it's a metaphor. It's an exaggerated teaching to get our attention and teach us that that is not the way of love. But I don't want you to treat it as a proverb. A proverb is something given to us for our wisdom that is usually true but needs to be applied circumstantially. This is true, that the way of love is not retaliatory. But it is hard to to do in the contexts we find ourselves in and in no way separates from wisdom. Wisdom is still required for you and I to know how to love God and neighbor in the place and the story and the family and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That's the wisdom part of it. The power part of it comes from seeing the man on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, who did not sin and said, Father, forgive them. The power comes from knowing him, being gripped by his love for us, and then following him 
in a trusting relationship. And following him is a flourishing life. The scriptures are given to us not so that we obey and then God. We're trusting God because we know that we cannot save ourselves. Then we have the command such as this one. Love does not retaliate when pain, when someone causes us pain. This is about our flourishing. In the midst of this teaching, the part that's quotable, Jesus is very clear that there are evil ones in our lives. If you have your Bible, I'm in Matthew chapter 5, right in between the section on oaths and the section on loving our enemies. Jesus is beginning to teach us how and why we love our enemies, and he says this in verse 38 of chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. That is a hard teaching. All right, if we pause there for a second. Do not resist the one who is evil. That does not mean we stay in relationship with them. It doesn't mean we're not wise about how to do that relationship. It does mean when they cause us pain, we do not hit back. Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Jesus has purchased our flourishing. He's beginning to describe to us the flourishing with God life. And in the midst of that, he warns us about evil ones. You have evil people in your life. I don't love telling you that. I want every sermon to be a happy, feel-good sermon. If I had to pick another job and I could immediately have the skill set of that other job, which I do not have, I'd probably pick stand-up comedian. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. Very few of them don't have an agenda, but the ones that don't, it's beautiful. They just love for people to be a little happier and they're good at it. I wish this was a happier or funnier sermon, but you know what? You live in the real world and people hurt you. And we need to know what to do and why. So, we look at this text. Jesus is warning us about evil ones. So at the same time that my friend who said you're supposed to turn the other cheek understood that part of Scripture, he misunderstood another part of Scripture. We were talking about the Scripture later because I told him, I said, you're going to make the sermon. And he was, of course, very honored. And um, he wasn't honored. And he said, we started talking about eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and he said, that's the Old Testament, right? And he meant like that summarizes it. No, that's not a summary of the Old Testament. It's important that we understand this. Do you know what eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth is? It's part of the law. What's that? Code of Hammurabi. Wow. (laughs) It's also called the law of Talion in the scripture. One of my commentaries totally assumes I know German, Latin, and Greek, which is a little challenging to read. And so the two authors of the commentary will flippantly label it as Lex Talion. The law of Talion. It was given in addition to the rest of the law to help poor people not be taken advantage of by rich people. There's certain provisions in the Torah 
Talion is not Torah. It's a very, very small part of the law of God. But it was given to help poor people not be taken advantage of. They couldn't simply be bought off when they were hurt. And Jesus is teaching that it's not good enough. Which doesn't separate us from the law of Talion. It's still good for poor people to not get taken advantage of by rich people. That's still fully in place. And Jesus is saying in relationships of love, we need more than that. And so he teaches on this. And yet, these are exaggerated categories. And exaggerated categories means Jesus is really working to get our attention. How do I know they're exaggerated categories? When Jesus says, if someone asks for your tunic, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, which was illegal to do in first century Judaism, let him have your cloak as well. Uh, people in the ancient Near East, for the most part, only had two garments. So if someone sues you and takes your tunic and then you give them your cloak also, you're now naked. That's how I know this is an exaggeration on Jesus' part. He was not promoting that. What he's doing is waving his arms like he does when he says if your right eye causes you to sin or your hand causes you to sin. Very similarly teaching us that trying to codify all of neighbor love, we will miss the point which is that we have an opportunity when someone hurts us. We really have two opportunities, and one of them is a flourishing way, though it won't sound like a flourishing way, and one is a very harmful way. They hit, metaphorically or literally, we hit back. Or they hit, literally or metaphorically, and we absorb it. Now listen, if you're being hit, you need to not be in that relationship at least for a little while. If you're part of this church, you need to come to us and let us know. This is not about married couples. This is both a metaphorical teaching and a literal teaching about what we do in relationships of love, which is not retaliate and forgive. It doesn't mean that we stay in that relationship. When Jesus talked about divorce, every single time he was assuming that there were grounds for divorce. And he's describing divorce as destructive and he speaks about it with great strength like he's doing here. Should you never, ever, ever sue anyone? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's asking us to consider a way and a lifestyle of non-retaliatory retaliatory and forgiving love. Some of the kindest, most Christian businessmen I know have had to sue because otherwise their company would go under they would no longer be able to pay their employees, and that is not what they're called to do. Did they want to do it? No. Did they have to? Yeah. When we try and take especially the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and turn them into exact rules, I think we're missing a little bit of the point, which was an encouragement in the way of love. At the same time, do you know what to do if you work in the city and you walk by homeless people, do you consider how much you should give to them? I hope that you do, because Jesus said, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. If you don't have any money, don't take out a loan to give that to them. Each person in this room has different circumstances, gifts, time, affection, which are to be used for the kingdom, which includes neighbors we don't know very well who happen to walk by. It also includes wisdom. 
Which is why I'm asking you to, in this, this word consider, you're like, that's not a very strong word. You're not getting my attention. Well, it's because you're not supposed to go around naked because you've given away all your clothes. You're really not, for a lot of reasons. But you are supposed to consider your time, your gifts, your circumstances for the neighbor you find yourself in. This is the teaching that goes alongside the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it requires wisdom to know how to do it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, these categories are ones you must consider and then reconsider as you go through life. If you're wired like me, an unwise consideration of it will mean you'll get taken advantage of periodically. Some of you are so wise, you've eliminated these categories from your life, though. We are called to love well those we find ourselves in relationship with. And the reason I don't want you to come up with a precise rule is there's this strange human tendency to make a precise rule about how we deal with when people ask us to borrow money that can sometimes harm us later because people are complex and relationships are complex and wisdom is not static. Truth is, but wisdom is not. And the Bible is happy to operate in both places and say that it is incredibly destructive if you don't know how to forgive, if you're not able to forgive. It's incredibly destructive to answer pain with pain. To not turn the other cheek is incredibly destructive. And it takes wisdom to know what to do after you've chosen non-retaliation and forgiveness. As, in, as, as the initial move when hurt. The world is that complex and crooked. Jesus teaches us that it's destructive to hit back, literally and metaphorically. Teaches us that we actually must forgive or we do not understand the forgiveness of the Father we receive because of Jesus' work and teaching. But forgiveness does not remove wisdom. I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk a lot about forgiveness in my third point, but listen, prepare, prepare yourself for point number three a little bit by hearing this. Forgiveness does not remove wisdom. Both for the neighbor that you've only met once who might take advantage of you and the neighbor you're in relationship with for the rest of your life because of the circumstances. Forgiveness does not remove wisdom. Choosing a life of non-retaliation doesn't remove wisdom from your life. Living in light of Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42 is essential for your flourishing, and it requires wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is prayer. Wisdom is talking to wise people about it. Wisdom is time and the willingness and ability to reconsider the circumstances. Jesus purchases our flourishing and he warns us about evil ones and then he offers the way of love. The way of love begins with forgiveness and non-retaliation when people hurt us. This is why I wish it was a more fun sermon, but you know what? You live in a world that's not always fun and one of the reasons it's not always fun is because people hurt you. What do you do? You turn the other cheek. You choose to not answer pain with pain. Forgiveness and retaliation and non-retaliation begin the process after we're hurt of love. And sometimes that's the only step we take is the choice to not repay pain with pain 
and we forgive. Sometimes that's it in the relationship. When and where and how does reconciliation factor in? I don't know. What kind of relationship are we talking about here? Friendship of five years, a boss, a coworker, a subordinate, brother, sister, child, parent, spouse. I've talked about this a number of times over the last couple of weeks. Some of you were here, some of you were not, some of you are visiting. And so you're wondering, why do we keep talking about forgiveness? If you read the book of Matthew, it comes up again and again and again because Jesus teaches on it in the Sermon on the Mount and he teaches on it so clearly that the disciples, like we should be, continue to be troubled by it. And so if you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18, which has a lot of good wisdom for us, but I'm just going to pick the parable at the end. Peter is troubled because he understands what Jesus is saying about forgiveness and how essential it is. He heard Jesus say after he taught the Lord's Prayer, if you do not forgive others, you're not forgiven by the Father in heaven. That's not a uh, prescription, that's a description. That's not as much a command to forgive as it is a statement that if you understand that you're forgiven all your sins, of course you forgive others. You must. You have to. You know that the alternative is toxic. Jesus, or Peter, understood that so clearly. In chapter 18, verse 21, he said, that, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Because he understood how painful it is. As many as seven times. You know the scripture? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. You remember that David Meese song in the 80s? We had it on vinyl. 70 times seven. Will you forgive me for all that I've done? I don't know how we had that song on vinyl. I don't even, I haven't said that name out loud in 30 years. Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. As you're listening to this parable, hold up the question in your mind, how, is, how important is it that I be capable of and know how to forgive? When he began to settle, one was brought to him who had owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered to him the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Who has hurt you? When you picture them, 
Can you picture their best and desire it? If so, you have forgiven them. And be encouraged by that, please. If when you picture them, they're unhappy, not because that's actually the circumstance of your life, but because that's what you wish, you're in an incredibly toxic and dangerous place to your soul. You do not understand how forgiven you are because of the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus and given by the Holy Spirit. When you picture that person, if you long for them to be in pain because of the pain they caused you, I need you to let me direct you right now. I need you to picture them. And you need to release the desire to retaliate. And you need to absorb what they did to you. I am in no way invalidating the legitimate pain that you feel. I am in no way telling you to go back into that relationship. That's a, that's a wisdom question. I'm in no way saying that the degree of pain is not horrific. Have you ever heard a survivor of abuse talk about forgiveness? It's so beautiful and so moving. You know why it's so moving? Because we know in some measure the alternative is toxic to our soul and to our humanity. The person that you're angry with, you need to picture them. You need to release the desire to retaliate. You need to absorb what they did so that you long for their good. You may or may not be back in relationship with that person. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't go back to an unsafe person. Please find wise friends. Please pray. But you must forgive. If you've read the Sermon on the Mount, if you saw the teaching on retaliation, if you were paying attention when I read chapter 18 of Matthew, you know that this is essential, that we release the desire to retaliate, that we absorb the pain. What does love do? The first thing that love does is it chooses to not hit back and it absorbs the pain. That is not all that love does, but it is absolutely the, 100% the first thing love does. If you are in a relationship that needs to last, you must do this and know how to do it. Is it the only thing that your marriage needs? Of course not. Does your marriage have to have this? Yes. Anne Lamott said, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. And she's right. Jesus said, if you do not forgive your brother, you do not understand his forgiveness. If you have children, you need to know how to absorb and not retaliate and forgive. And then what? Well, then there's a lot of other stuff that we talk about periodically when the scripture directs us to talk about it. Those of you whose parents are still with us, you must know how to absorb and not retaliate. And then there's more to the relationship, but it begins there. Many of you have been deeply, profoundly hurt. This will, you will need to do what I just directed you to do multiple times a day. 
you will need to picture them and long for their good, which is the beginning of forgiveness, which is forgiveness. You will need to choose to absorb the pain, not retaliate, long for their good, not long for their ruin. It's not the only thing that we need in relationships, but we absolutely must have it. And it is a narrow kingdom way. The with God life is the way to flourish as a human being. It is the way to enjoy the joy of the with God life. Apostle Paul, writing from prison, describes joy 15 different times in four chapters. Well, how do we enjoy that joy? One of the ways is learning how to forgive. It's also learning how to use our words and our hands for love and with love. But Jesus taught so strongly on this. We do not retaliate to evil, which assumes, by the way, that evil will be perpetrated against you. Jesus taught to people living in the real world. This is not a religion that is inapplicable to your Sunday afternoon or your Wednesday. Jesus described that his burden is easy and his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, that we find rest for our souls. How do you rest with the pain that others have caused you? It's in knowing that you're forgiven for your sins and then choosing a life of non-retaliation and forgiveness. Many of our relationship troubles stem from not knowing how essential this is, from not paying attention to the words of Jesus, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, but even throughout the rest of the book of Matthew, teaching us that forgiveness is essential to human flourishing. And in fact, without it, we are indeed drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. We do not believe the gospel because it is for our flourishing. We believe it because it's true. We believe it because Jesus actually lived as a human being, did not sin, took the wrath of God upon himself, and then rose from the dead. The first and the primary reason to believe the gospel of Jesus is because it actually happened, and it's true and good. And then we turn to Jesus's teachings, and we learn how to flourish as a human being. which means we know to forgive. It is a narrow way. It is not instinctive. It is not common sense to forgive. It is not easy to forgive. It is not fully naturally in us to choose to turn the other cheek, and yet it is the way. Is there a pain-free way to do life? C.S. Lewis said the only way to do pain-free love is to love nothing. It's the only way to avoid pain in love. And I would argue also, more broadly, you can't leave your house without needing to know how to forgive. And the only way that we are going to receive the power for this is when we understand that we are a forgiven people. The gift of the sacrament of communion is that we might remember the gospel of Jesus, and it is more than that. 
More is happening than we can sense and understand. If you are a follower of Jesus, this table is for you to strengthen and remind you mystically that God loves you and likes you and has forgiven you and has enabled you to forgive those who have hurt you for your flourishing and for theirs. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have forgiven us because of the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you explained to us that relationships are difficult and that forgiveness is essential. Teach us to be non-retaliatory lovers, Lord. Help us by your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom in considering those relationships, but more importantly, help us to learn to forgive. Amen.